Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi guys, so welcome to a special Christmas special. What a redundant name I just said for the episode. Special edition. Special edition of a special episode of... A special Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas special. <laughs> Christmas special. How many more times can we say special in 30 seconds? People... I can I can do it a lot. People have already turned off the podcast episode. Like, psh, we're going to go listen to Crisis of Cure. He's way better than these jamokes. <laughs> True. Uh, so what's man. up man no you know not much uh i got a lot of stuff going today uh, i go preach in a couple of hours and i am then driving so i got a two hour drive to this church that's like an hour and 20 minutes preach and then i got a four hour drive back to the in-laws tonight celebrate Ooh. christmas tomorrow and then drive four hours back tomorrow night so i could go back to work on thursday oh wow you yeah. didn't tell me that yeah, I'm not so happy about like it. Nine hours and two <laughs> days. 20, yes, basically. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm not, an uh, hour and a half isn't really far in the U.S. No, and and it's not bad. Um, it's most mostly interstate. So I'll, when I ha- go up to the church today, I'll probably put on some Christmas tunes and and, and jam out. And then on the way south, I'm going to put on. Uh, every time around this season, uh, I do a Lord of the Rings audiobook. So I am. Oh. At uh, the two towers, so I'm gonna listen to that, and then on the way home tomorrow, it's Return of the King. So you'll probably hate me because I've never read any Lord of the Rings book or watched any of the movies. Uh, well, I can't hate you for that, but uh, I am deeply saddened. Deeply saddened. I'll so, try my best. <laughs> so, as Paul said, we've got a, a Christmas special. We're not. Yeah, we we just we've talked back and forth about doing another episode on Romans, but I'm like, you know what? It's Christmas Eve when this episode would air, and so why don't we just do something on uh, the virgin birth and uh, and Christ being, you know, born and why we celebrate this season? And obviously, this is airing today on Christmas Eve, so we didn't have an episode this morning because I had in laws in town all weekend and couldn't record. You know, just my luck. So, uh, so we so have Paul, both virgin conception and birth. And birth. Can't really separate either one. Mm-mm. Nope, we um, cannot. So we're going to go to explain these. Uh, but first, 
how important is this doctrine, Alex? Is it like a fundamental? I, if if anyone denies it, can you say that they're not a Christian? Uh, I definitely think it is fundamental. I think if you deny it, then you are de- denying the deity of Christ. And I think you are, you couldn't call yourself a Christian if you say that Christ wasn't born a virgin because then it denotes being sinless and being the son of God incarnate. I mean, there's so many things that kind of build off of this one fundamental truth. Yep. So you have to, you have to believe in this and call yourself a Christian. To yeah, but someone, Christian. someone like a new Christian could be ignorant about all the, uh, the ramifications of, of the meaning of this doctrine and they could easily deny it because they come from secularism or naturalism. Sure. But if you teach them and they accept it, yep, that's different. But right. if you go on rejecting it and doubting about it, then that's big trouble. And I think two or three years ago, Andy Stanley, um, who we were not really fond of. Nope. He said this. Christianity doesn't hinge on stories like the virgin conception or birth of Jesus, but it hinges on his resurrection. Now, it's mm. it's important to note that Andy doesn't deny the miraculous uh, virgin birth of Christ, but that's that's quite a weird thing that he said. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what it boils down to is this: you if you you can't have a resurrection without a birth, and the resurrection means nothing. If Christ wasn't born of a virgin and f- fulfills all of the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. Yeah, and that's he wouldn't why I, have been resurrected. Right, and that's why I also, like, when he says we have to unhitch from the Old Testament, that really kind of burns my bridges. Because yeah. you Christ is spoken in the Old Testament. I mean, I, I just did... He said yeah, it I himself. Just, I just did a whole series uh, at, at my church on uh, on this concept and not an extensive deep dive, but, you know, a high level, like, here's, like, uh, some of the most more commonly referred to prophecies and how they correlate, where are they fulfilled in New Testament thing. And to say that we, you know, that the the Christian life doesn't hinge on the, the virgin birth or the Old Testament, I think, completely denotes um, Christianity in its entirety. I think it's, I think that's just a bad position to take. Yeah, it really is. So the whole uh, outline of our episode is we're going to define some terms first, yep. like virgin birth, uh, virgin, virgin conception, perpetual virginity, and immaculate conception. And then we're, we're going to see how Matthew and Luke expound on the virgin birth. And then we're going to give seven points of how significant it is for the Christian life and belief. And then we're going to so give let's... you ten tips on how to be a better Christian and make millions of dollars. Oh, wait, wrong episode. Is it the wrong episode? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have found the secret. You know what's really useful? For, the the um, secret. Useful. What's that? For all that, like doing a lot of money and and basically being a false teacher, hmm. an apostleship certificate. Absolutely, and you can get your apostle certificates if you join us at the Lincoln Year Conference. We will for have free for free. All you have to do is come up and mention it. That's it's only going to be a two day special because two outside days. of that, it's six hundred bucks a month. Yes, a month. This is a lifetime entering to the Undying Light apostles- Apostleship. And they might cult. even have gold glitter. Maybe gold glitter. With some real cheap glue on the back of it. <laughs> cheap glue. <laughs> oh. 
You know, I'm glad our followers enjoy the little joke and those who are new to that's listening, good to have a sense of humor yeah those who are new to that please go back to a round table like episode two when we st- first started talking about it <laughs> okay so let's jump in let's do this first term we have to define is of course the virgin birth uh which is a doctrine about the reality that mary was a virgin at the moment of jesus birth and had always been a virgin before that she did not have any sexual intercourse with Joseph or any other man before Joseph. And we see that in Matthew 1.25, which reads, uh, But knew her not. I'm going to read from 24 to get the context. When mm. Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see there that Joseph did not know Mary until... Which really, it really destroys immediately the whole um, Catholic belief of the perpetual virginity of Mary. Mm-hmm. If he did not know her, why say until? Yep. It, it really destroys the whole sense of the, of the text. And the next uh, concept that we have is the virgin conception, which is not the same thing. Uh, the conception specifically refers to the moment that Mary conceived in her womb by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit without the intervention of of a man. Then we have a perpetual virginity, which is the belief that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. Uh, it is also believed by those who hold to this doctrine that Mary suffered no pain through her pregnancy nor through labor, which is really quite odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to say there's no no biblical warrant for either of those. Right. It's just speculation. It's actually Gnosticism. Yeah. And the Bible mentions, of course, the siblings of Jesus multiple times. We see them in Matthew 13, uh, verses 55 through 56, John 7, 3, uh, and 5, and Acts 1, 14. Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, as we see in Luke 2, verse 7. Uh, and we have to say also, it's important to note that the first source to teach the perpetual virginity of Mary was the Proto-Evangelium of James, which is a second century Gnostic writing. And honestly, dude, just I, I've heard I've heard Catholics who actually believe that that Jesus just I, I I don't even have a word for it. He just swooned out of Mary in a painless way, and, <laughs> and he just stood there, and and Mary's and Mary's belly was immediately flattened with no pain whatsoever. Wow! Doesn't that de- that de- it defeats the humanity of Jesus? Yeah, it really. It, yeah, that's just ridiculous. That's no pain whatsoever. Yeah, none. Just magically. Because Mary, she's in Roman Catholic in Roman Catholicism. She's a Disney character who who can't suffer any single amount of pain whatsoever. That's how pure she is. That's ridiculous. Well, it is what it is. Yeah. And then the last term we have to define is the Immaculate Conception. This is another Roman Catholic. Um, point of doctrine it's actually a dogma it, it binds you to the faith uh and it's actually less than no it's a bit over 150 years old it was dictated as a dogma in 1854 and it teaches that mary herself was conceived apart from any stain of original sin and that is the reason why jesus didn't have original sin but if if you want to just put that back, like trace it back through Mary's genealogy. 
wouldn't that have to mean that Mary's mother and Mary's grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother, that they they must have been also uh, immaculately conceived? Yeah, yeah, you'd have to go all the way back, which, again, Scripture doesn't allude to, and would be quite unusual, and you know, in that particular situation, because now it defeats have, a lot of the New Testament. Yeah, you got all these people born of a virgin. You, how many times mm-hmm. has this prophecy been fulfilled from Isaiah? It's ridiculous. Yeah, and and you have Paul saying in, in Romans five that uh, through Adam. Everyone died. Everyone sinned. Everyone. So then you have this special lineage from Adam mm-hmm. that doesn't receive original sin somehow. Somehow. But they escape that. Rescue devices, man. Just everywhere. It's crazy. This teaching developed uh, through the centuries, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reached some prominence in the 13th and then it was canonized in 1854. So the church didn't know a binding dogma of the faith for 1,820-some years. I wonder how how they were saved or made saints before 1854. That's ridiculous. It really is. Well, Well, we can't expect better from... (laughs) <laughs> from Catholics. Uh, an organization led by someone who said that if anyone um, preaches the gospel to, to an unbeliever, they are not followers of Jesus. Yeah. yeah that, I, I seen that the other day. I was uh, I was quite disgusted. It, you know, and the other thing that really makes me mad about that whole piece is my grandparents are staunch Catholics. Like, they are, to the T, Pope worshippers. And the my my grandfather remarried after my grandmother died, and so this lady's just hardcore Catholic, and I've never really had a good relationship with her because I don't really know her too much. But I may I uh, put a post up on Facebook a while back about you know the Pope and how he's the Antichrist or a Antichrist, not the he's a false teacher, and uh, she like lost her mind on it, and I was like I really wanted to, and she on. Unf- friended and blocked me and all that jazz but i really wanted to put share this article too that if you um share the gospel you're not a christian like do you need more evidence that this guy is not a christian right he's literally telling you to your face if you share the gospel you're not a christian that's not what scripture tells you people (sighs) it's just not but since when has the pope been subject to scripture exactly right he's above and beyond he's uh he's he's the virgin. But you know it doesn't really surprise me coming from him it was no. just oh this guy again saying stuff like this mm-hmm. oh and roman catholicism now has um um church legal same-sex priests homosexual priests yeah but they are celibate so you can't blame them mm-hmm. <laughs> How ridiculous. It just gets worse. All right, let's move on from the Roman Catholics. Uh, So the only only inspired narratives that we have in the whole Bible of the virgin birth are surprisingly only found in Matthew and Luke and in the first first couple of chapters. Mm -hmm. But we have to say that the fact that it isn't expounded upon later in, in the New Testament letters, that doesn't, it doesn't have any relevance because of course Paul knew about it um, his theology would never allow for a 
for a birth, a natural birth uh, between a man and a woman. As we said in the beginning, that would totally destroy uh, basic tenets of the faith. And that would be impossible yep. to conceive in Paul's mind or anyone else who wrote any New Testament letter. So the emphasis on both narratives is the faithfulness of God in keeping his salvific promises from the Old Testament, prophecy being fulfilled. In Matthew, uh, we see that this man, the author Matthew, was an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus and of his resurrection and of the Great Commission. We see in Matthew one twenty-three. let me read that text real quick. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You had a sermon about this, Alex, so you could probably go on mm. for 20 minutes talking mm-hmm. about this. Uh, the Greek word here is Parthenos. It's only used once in Matthew chapter 1, and it's indirectly used of Mary. That Greek term was used for young maidens who had never been in sexual relations with any man. So there are some people who claim that the Greek, the Hebrew word Alma in Isaiah 7.14 doesn't really mean uh, a virgin. But we see in the Greek use uh, of Matthew probably was far more um, well acquainted with the Old Testament than any of these liberal scholars today. Yep. That he did use the word in this way, and we can trust um, his use of it because it's, impo- it's, it's inspired by the Spirit. And we have uh, the declaration of Isaiah 7.14. Yep. What's important about that verse in its context? We see that Ahaz was a wicked king of the Davidic dynasty. And the future of the Davidic dynasty in that moment did not look bright. Ahaz was fearful of being overthrown by his enemies. And God promised him through Isaiah that he would not be toppled to ensure Ahaz uh, of his reign. And to do so, he would give him a sign. Only if Ahaz would ask. Of course, he refused to because he was extremely proud and wicked. He refused to ask for it, so God gave him the sign either way. That means, of course, that he's sovereign. He does as he pleases. No one can stay his hand or ask him, what are you doing? That sign was the means through which God would not allow the Davidic dynasty to fall. And being faithful to his word, of course, as we see in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, God would raise up his king from the most unlikely place, a virgin's womb. Such a son would not be an ordinary king like Ahaz or like every other king before uh, Christ came. He would not be subject to corruption or death, and he would be Emmanuel, God with us. So in that way, God raised for himself a king who would never die and sit on his throne forever, and in that way, fulfilling the covenant to David and making that... uh, as we're talking about this, making it relevant to the context of Isaiah 7, which it's really about the weakness of the of the dynasty, isn't it, Alex? Yeah. Of Ahaz in that moment, he was I, literally... Yeah. You know, I, I did a little research. Um, I expanded just a bit on it in my sermon uh, Sunday. And, you know, from what I kind of pulled out... it. Ahaz is a unbelieving king, but yet he doesn't want to tempt the Lord. It's like, you know, Isaiah is telling him, hey, I'm going to, God's going to give you this sign. All I have to do is ask for it. And then he's like, nah, that's cool. I'm going to go make this alliance with Assyria. 
And then what happens to him? He gets completely wiped. Yeah. Assyria just comes in and just, you know, kicks him right in the face. And uh, I find that to be interesting, like just that story, because, you know, and, and I mentioned it in my sermon, you know, nestled right in this is probably, in the Jews' eyes, a very insignificant line. She will give birth to uh, a son, and his you will call him Emmanuel. Um, let me pull up the text right now. I got it in my Isaiah 7. Let's see here. 714. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I mean, I, I was reading that. I read it and read it over and over again. And it feels like it's just a a single verse that has very little implications in the in the big scheme of what Ahaz was trying to accomplish. And yet God mm-hmm. is saying, I will give you this promise. And Ahaz wanted nothing to do with it. But, you know, nestled nicely here, uh, I talked on something in Micah 5. Is it kind of the same context? I mean, it's... All of these prophecies that Christ fulfilled were just very, were just kind of laid so perfectly throughout the whole Old Testament that you really have to understand the entire context of the Old Testament to find and read and understand all of their meanings towards, um, you know, to and how they all point to Christ being that. I say it's a hard book to understand. It is absolutely hard. I am not very good at I am not an Isaiah scholar. I'd love to be, yeah, but I'm be far pretty, from it. Yeah. I got some good commentaries on Isaiah on my shelf. I just haven't read through them. That's legit. I think Calvin has a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. But there you have the quote-unquote Old Testament church, which I, I don't really agree with that concept at all. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're talking about the... Uh, relevance in Matthew about the virgin birth. And now we're jumping to the next point. Uh, we also have to notice the allusion found in Matthew 1, 16, which reads, uh, that's the end of the genealogy, by the way. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. That, of course, means that Joseph is the legal guardian of Jesus. And that it's really such a clear statement about how Joseph is not the natural father of Jesus. And we see that also in, in, in grammar, the relative pronoun whom in Greek matches in gender and number the noun to which it refers. And it's a feminine singular, so it refers to Mary. Another clear instance where we see the virgin birth is when Joseph decided to divorce Mary during their one-year betrothal period. A betrothal is basically a modern, I mean, an old version of uh, engagement. It was a period that lasted for a year. It was used sometimes to test whether the the wife would be faithful to the husband and vice versa. Uh, And it was a time for the husband to build a place in his father's house for the wife who was to come. Um, so Joseph's intention here are indications that the baby in Mary's womb was not his because he desired to divorce Mary. If it would have been his, he would have Im- immediately, I mean, he would not have done that. He would not, he would not have tried to divorce her. Right. 
You know, an interesting thing too about that is in according to Old Testament law, if he could have put her to death. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a whopper that, I mean, that really is, that shows how just of a person Joseph was. I mean, he's not sinless, but he understood the law and he looked for a way to, uh, not, you know, to do it quietly, to keep her from having public shame, to just kind of, you know, kind of sweep this thing under the rug and move on with his life. And yet then the angel comes and reveals to him everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've thought about this, but w- when you read that, don't you go like, um, wasn't Joseph unfaithful to God's law by not putting her to, the, to death? Um, well, I mean, you could probably say that, but uh, I would also argue the fact that most of that law was conceived by, you know, Pharisees and, you know, the, the extra lineage of you know, man-made, you know, restrictions to how people should live their lives. I don't know if it's necessarily God's law in place. That I think there is text in either, I don't know if it's Exodus or Leviticus, that infidelity, adultery has to be... Um, Lied to public execution. Stoning. Yeah. I, I, I think it is in Exodus, but I'm curious at how that... Is that a definitive law that God gives, or is it just a... It's definitive. It's mm. um, apodictic law. Mm. But either way, uh, we clearly see God's hand here on Joseph's conscience because he didn't want to put her to death, and then God revealed to him uh, what was really going on. So if he would have put her to death, that, that would have meant that God's plan was... Um, sabotaged Mm -hmm. so in Matthew we see one last statement found in verse 25 but he did not know her until she gave birth to a son Mary did not stay a virgin only until the Holy Spirit delivered the message and conceived uh, Christ in her she remained a virgin until after the birth of Jesus which clearly states that Uh, they didn't have any relationships even after Jesus was conceived but they did after his birth. So now we jump on to Luke. Luke has quite a bit more information, but we're, we're going to be quite succinct in this. Uh, Luke's gospel was nearly written, I mean, was written nearly a decade after Matthew wrote his. Depends on your review on that. There are many positions on, on it. Mm-hmm. It was written around 5880. Matthew was written around 5080, according to um, my professor of uh, my university. Mike Grisanti is pretty pretty well known. Uh, So in Luke, we find an an explicit statement of Mary's virginity. In 127, uh, we see the Greek word parthenos, which means a young maiden and a virgin, used twice. And the second use is directly referring to Mary. And then we have Gabriel in 126 telling a betrothed virgin that she will conceive. She will conceive and... um, we can notice how Mary was absolutely confused about how that would happen, which really tells something about her virginity. She knew that she was a virgin. She was not fooling anyone. Yep. She was not fooling herself. Uh, when the angel told her, you're going to conceive and bear, bear a child. She was what? I've never been with a man before. How, how's that going to happen? 
So we see a confirmation there for from Mary's own lips. And honestly, if she would have been lying, the angel would have known. Yeah, of course. Uh, the next one we see is in Luke one thirty four. We see Mary again confirming her virgin status. Those who deny this must really call Mary a liar in this point. Uh, and they also should call the inspired writer a liar and mm-hmm. the ultimate author a liar. In verse 35, what's up? Alex? No, I lost you for a second. Oh, did you want to say something? No, I was just just uh, putting my two cents in. It's fine. We can move on. <laughs> With the ultimate author, that would be... God. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But that would be um, like excluding yourself from Christianity. I don't think that if you deny er- um, inerrancy, you can call yourself a Christian. I agree. You would have an, If you have an imperfect revelation, you really can't know anything about God. Exactly. So, um, in verse 35, we have the angel himself confirming what Mary was confused about. How would she conceive by the agency of God himself apart from any man? And uh, we see allusions to this from the Old Testament. We have it with Abraham, the the first Jew, the first man whom God called um, to serve him in a special, redemptive, historical way. Uh, Let's remember that Abraham didn't have a child until he was... A hundred years old, mm-hmm. yeah, and Sarah was ninety. Uh, let's remember that Sarah laughed when God came to them and told her that she would have a son. They didn't believe, and um, Abraham, Abraham slept with Hagar in order to have the the child. But God doesn't accept that. God doesn't accept human intervention in His works. That's why Ishmael was uh, ultimately rejected. And that's why God gave them Isaac, which was completely a, a miraculous conception, even though it it, um, it required a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. We see an even greater miracle here, where a virgin conceives without any help whatsoever of a, of a man. And we see there that God does, does things that are impossible in the eyes of man. Uh, we see a, this same um, pattern of... God's work in Elizabeth when she conceived in an old age, much like Sarah, and she had a barren womb, just like Sarah. That was a great miracle, but the virgin conception was far greater. Yep. The womb of a woman who had never seen a man would bear a child. And not just any child like John the Baptist, but God himself. Mm-hmm. And a final argument from Luke in the favor of Mary's virginity is found in Luke 2, verse 5. Let me fetch it real quick. This is a really interesting one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read from uh, verses 4 and 5. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. She's still recognized as Joseph's betrothed, mm-hmm. not wife. Right. Which, meaning that Joseph and Mary were God-fearing, righteous people, they would never um, have sex, have sexual intercourse before their actual marriage. Which also is an argument uh, that further testifies of Mary's virginity. 
Now, uh, we're going to go through seven important deductions of the truth of, of the virgin birth and why it matters so much to our lives. And uh, we really don't see any exposition of the virgin birth in the New Testament epistles. Why is that? I think because um, you could put the argument that while the virgin birth, I think, is a crucial foundation to the life, the sinless life of Christ, I think there's more emphasis put on the death and resurrection um, because that the death and the resurrection is where salvation is actually found. Because you could you could argue that if Christ had stayed dead, then there's no uh, salvation for sins. Um, I, I mean, it, it's an interesting thought really because i had my cousin ask me this yesterday i thought yeah. it was a really interesting question and i i wasn't able to answer it for around two minutes yeah uh he asked what if joseph and mary had tried while being married to have uh to have a boy and they couldn't succeed somehow they were both um barren and then god gave them jesus why would that have been sinful Oh, because she's already she's no longer a virgin, and um, you could argue that she's now tainted by man. And in order for God to to be, in order for God to enter this world, the to come as a man in flesh, the best way is to go through the virgin's womb that has not been tainted by uh the sin of adam you know by another man so yeah but without... she, she's still a daughter of adam though she is but and she's sinful because she, we know that mary's not perfect but i'm talking just the womb itself not having any not have known any man prior because i think if you were to say well you know they're married they have sex all the time but they can't conceive, but all of a sudden God's going to say, okay, here's your, here's a child mm -hmm. without the work of a man. You're just all suddenly pregnant. Like if you go six weeks without having sex and all of a sudden you're pregnant and here comes a child, that's the man of God. I, I one, it doesn't line up with old Testament scripture that especially in Isaiah, that a virgin will bear a child. But I also think that that's not the cleanest route for God to come into this world as uh, a man in flesh. You yeah, see where I, so, see where so we see at? there how, yeah, I I, I see that you, the, uh, the the importance of of nullifying any sort of interference by man. Right. Yeah. It's just it has to be a new creation by God. Right. And see, you can argue Mary sinless or sinful. That's we know that she's a sinner because she was born a sinner with the seed of yeah, Adam. Yeah, she offered sacrifice in the temple. Right. Which means that she was a sinner. Exactly. But for man, or for God to enter this world as man, God did it through the lowest of ways, and that is through human birth. And, you know, then you can go into a manger in the, you know, the barn in Bethlehem, and, you know, he was really born the lowest of the low. But, you know, when God does something, he's going to be magnified from the lowest of us. I like that. Uh, okay, so let's go through the seven points, and that will be the end of the 
special Christmas special? Of Christmassy specials. Until next Christmas special. I wonder if Nick is going to have one. Maybe. I don't know if he's as cool as we are this time. I think he said he was off until like the end of the year. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because I, I have to do an episode for him. A.K.A. Ooh. Special episode coming. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody what it is, but I'm going to do it like you did a a while back. You you did an episode for him. I've done two for him, actually. Two for him? Man, you were big baller. One of of the Atonement and the the latest one was on Montanism. Sweet. Okay, so let's let's knock these seven out. Yeah. Number one. The virgin birth was a sign given by God as proof of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. God's promise to keep his covenant to David was completed in the virgin-conceived and virgin-born son of God. And without the virgin birth, there would be no descendant sitting on the throne of David of God's promises. And uh, no promise of God uh, to David and any covenant, uh, Davidic or Abrahamic, would be fulfilled. They would be all nullified. If you don't have a Davidic descendant sitting on the throne forever, as God promised in 2 Samuel 7. Mm -hmm. This is a clear indication that the kingdom of God will have its rule on a restored earth by the hand of the king himself. And given that Christ's throne on earth will be brought to earth, I mean, sorry, on heaven will be brought to earth. This covenant is full of eschatological hope for the Christian. Of course, it depends on on your eschatology. I have one that allows for a thousand year, literal thousand year reign on earth. I am not a a dispensationalist, by the way, by any means. Mm, Neither am I. I hold more to a historic uh, premillennialist view, which was the one that the the, the, um, early church held to. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Let's go to point number two. The virgin birth was the means that God chose to enter physically into his creation. And we're going to ask some interesting questions here. The one who who will be born of a virgin would be named Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. And in Isaiah, we see that Israel's Messiah would also be her Redeemer and Savior. We have the servant songs, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6, Isaiah 54 through 7, and Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. These passages clearly speak of a human and not just any human, not just a mere human. God does not share his glory. And we see no. in Isaiah 42, 8, just after the servant song, God says, my glory I will give to no other. But mm. then you have in Isaiah 52, 13, God saying, behold, my servant shall be exalted and lifted high. How? If God doesn't share his glory, he shall be exalted highly. That's, of course, that that's glory. And that's glory that belongs to God alone. Yep. No one else. And uh, we've been talking about this a little bit. Could God have chosen any other means to save his people? Um, I I mean, I don't... Th- if, if you, if you want to look at scripture then the answer is no because i think from the very beginning you see that after the fall of man what does god do he goes and kills an animal and then clothes adam and eve with 
the skin of the animal. And that is your first, you know, sacrifice, the first call it atonement for their sins. Um, and then you fast forward to Exodus where uh, the Israelites are drawn out of Egypt and the sacrificial system is created. The priesthood is created. And now you've got um, all of these animals that are sacrificed through time. Um, even at Passover where that, you know, people would draw quarter of a million animals in to be sacrificed for, for the sins of people. Um, from the very beginning of scripture, from the very beginning of time, blood needed to cover our sins. And the animal's blood was only a temporary covering. And so a permanent covering had to be given. So if you were to say from scripture, could God have used another means? Sure. He probably could have said, well, you guys have to now work your way to heaven and you have to do these things. You have to obey the law perfectly, but nobody could. So then nobody could earn salvation. And that is why we are given the savior because Christ is that perfect atonement. His blood covers our sins, no matter how wretched we are. It covers our sins today, covers our sins tomorrow. It'll cover our sins in 50 years, and it covers our sins from years past. So I don't think, based upon the way Scripture gives us a, a picture of God's glory and God's redemptive plan, I don't think there's any other way that he could have provided a means for us to achieve salvation. That was a fantastic answer. Thank you. M mic drop moment. Mic drop. Episode over. Special over. Special over. Well, we got Point three. Yeah, a few more. <laughs> we got uh, just five more. There have been only two people in the whole of human history who have been birthed without sin. That is Adam and Jesus Christ. Both were fathered by God in a unique way. Adam was formed from the dust. Jesus' body was formed from the womb of a sinful woman. That's an even greater achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, we've heard many times from a lot of preachers and theologians that God's work of creation from nothing is amazing enough. But God's work of something holy from something sinful is even greater. And that's, that's how he brought uh, Jesus to, to creation, to, to the earth. Not out of nothing. He didn't make a body out of nothing. He made a, a holy body, a sinless body out of a sinful woman. And it's also worth noting that all of Adam's children inherit his sin and its consequence. And all of Christ's spiritual offspring inherit his perfect righteousness instead. Mm. Amen. Point number four, the virgin birth is the way in which God would dwell in a human body without the procreation of a new person. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Somehow, it's just inconceivably known to the human mind. The eternal being of God was united with true humanity. How that happens, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have half the brains to even delve a bit into that. We see the frailty of a man united to the eternal consistency of God, the weakness of humanity joined to the strength of Almighty God. The limitedness of, man of mankind bonded with the endlessness of God. Uh, and we see in John 1.14 how he tabernacled, how he came down among us and dwelled uh, in this earth among sinful human beings, him being sinless. 
The next point, point number five, the the power of God on display for all to see that what is impossible for man is possible for God. It was impossible for humanity to breed a sinless member of the human race. Only God could do such a thing. Point number six, it is a useful test for us to know whether a theologian or preacher is approaching the scriptures with a secular naturalistic framework or rather being faithful to the inerrant word of God. Some false, false teachers are embarrassed by what they believe to be impossible given the, their naturalistic assumptions. And they will cower away or you will probably see them feel un, uncomfortable from teaching uh, the resurrection, the virgin birth, uh, the miracles that Christ did. That's It's a good way. As we see with Andy Stanley, I'm, I'm not sure if I should call him outright a false teacher just like that. I don't know much about him, but... His subtle questioning of the of the virgin birth is it's telling to say the least. Yeah, well, I think you can equate that. Um, if you haven't watched the second part of American Gospel, uh, I highly recommend everybody listening to go and do that because uh, in that they um, draw upon two perspectives through the movie, like the humanist and secularism perspective on uh, the deity of Christ, because of premises around Christ crucified. And so they the whole premise the whole basis of the movie is talking about did God send his son to die and be resurrected for our sins? And so you see all these different um views from secularism, uh, humanism and then Christianity's view of the truth to scripture. And Rob Bell, uh, a famous guy who's heretic fallen away into heresy yeah uh wrote a book and did this little video spiel for it and i find it interesting that in the movie he they show clips of this you know of the commercial throughout the movie as he's talking about certain topics and then you've got the humanist and secularist people defending rob bell and then and then the christians are like but no he's really you know, in, in the questions, if you would, because that's what he's trying to do. He's just, he's just exploring. He's asking questions. He's out there, man. Right. But he's in these, annoying. He is, absolutely. But in these questions that he's asking, that's where you start to get this, this line of heresy from, is, you know, did God really send his son to earth? Did God really conceive Christ in the virgin womb of Mary did, you know, when you start to base your theology of did God and then insert line here, you really have lost the mystery, the truth and the beauty of scripture. Yeah. And you know, this Rob Bell guy, he made a documentary about himself Mm. and he titled it heretic. Yeah. Which I mean, he he he's even mocking the the reality that he's he's lost and going to hell, and I'm just I'm glad that the whole uh, emergent church movement died with people like Brian McLaren and this guy Rob Bell, just progressive uh, neo orthodox. If you if you could even call them that, I don't know. They're just they question everything, and they want to please everyone. So it, it it was never going to work. It was a mess right. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and the last point. The virgin birth should be a part of a Christian's confession of faith. We see many confessions found in the New Testament and even early hymns as on 1 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews 2.4, and 1 John 4.1-3. And even though the virgin birth is never contained in an evangelistic effort by either an apostle or a disciple, uh, from what we've seen, I think it's foundational to yeah, hold it. Absolutely. Without it, God could not have could not have taken sinless humanity to himself. I just read, I think last week, oh no, it was this week actually, I think I sent it to you, to you and Nick, uh, some person who I'm not going to name, questioning the fact that Jesus was guiltless in the sense of original sin. Well, mm. he even questions the whole concept of original sin. Yep, I've seen that. And since Jesus, since his humanity hails from Adam, he had to have original guilt or yep. some some sort of um, heredit- hereditary uh, generational, quote-unquote, curse on him. Otherwise, he would not have been human. If you yep. have a guilty savior in any sense of the word, you have you don't have a savior. You have someone who needs salvation. Exactly. Hey, you you get into some really murky heresy when you start to say that Christ was a sinner. I or think Christology Christ. and the Trinity are the most uh, susceptible grounds for anyone to become a heretic and admit it easily, easily. And I think because you. I actually had somebody DM me this morning completely off the topic of Christology, but they DM'd me a question about um, something about judging. Doesn't the Bible say to judge not, least ye be judged? I'm like, yeah, it does, if you cherry-pick verses. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what we see here, you know, across all of these different heresies, is that people are taking Scripture and they're putting their own opinion upon it or they're taking scripture and saying, well, I don't like some of this, so I'm only going to take this little line here. And I can't tell you how many times people DM me or post on my picture, on my page about, you know, a half of a verse. And they're like, what, well, doesn't it say this? Yeah, what's the larger context? Because you completely distorted that now. And, you know, Christ calls us to judge people. We're called to judge false teachers. We're called to judge righteously. You know, I'm yeah. not going to go and go to Joel Osteen's house and be like, Joel, you're, you're old, fat, and ugly, because that's unrighteous judging. I'm going to go to Joel and be like, Joel, your doctrine is heresy. That's the difference. I'm not judging you based on appearance. I'm not judging you because you wear you know, $5 jeans from Walmart or $1,000 jeans from you know Gucci. I'm judging you based upon your doctrine. Yeah, and w- when we judge based on scripture, it's not really us judging; it's God yeah, doing it. It's God's word. You know, all I'm doing is being the vessel to point you, saying, "Well, oh, God's word says this." Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, I think we're just about an hour, and even less fifty minutes. Yeah, it's fifty I think minutes it's a record. I, yeah, for uh, for for you and I to do a show, and I think this is good. I think people may enjoy it, and um. You know, I think it's a good little Christmas read if you're traveling. It gives you something to listen to or, you know, put it on in the morning when you're opening presents and listen to us banter about the virgin birth. (laughs) 
probably turn on Christmas music actually instead. Yeah, Elvis. Elvis. Oh man, I had like four people post that. I know that. That's why I said that. I don't listen to Elvis. I don't either. I I took. I got a couple more. I got to put up today, but I took almost everything that people sent me and just put it back out because I'm like, hey, you know what? It's kind of an interesting uh, range of music that people listen to for Christmas. So. But uh, for King and Country does have the Chris- best Christmas album of all time. Uh, I have spoken. I'm gonna it listen is, to it. I love it. I, it is uh, great, and it's you know it's a little bit more you know upbeat and uh, than most Christmas music, so that's why I kind of like it. So, guys, that's it for the Christmas special, special edition, Undying Light special, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we will be back Friday. Um, I'm recording this week a few episodes, so I will have my finish up my ser- uh, series on worship. You know what we should do? What's that? Uh, a joint episode, another special episode on abuse text of scripture or text taken out of context in order for to use them as a pretext. Uh, you know, we, we should get Nick and, and Brad to get it. Get in on that with round us. Round table. Round table. There you go. January edition round table. We are going to discuss uh, abused scripture. That's a good topic. So I'm going to put it out. We'll 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 get with Nick and, and Brad if and nail this down. But we'll get questions and we'll get people to submit. What do they think the top text uh, are? And then we'll just go through that. I think it's a fantastic episode. Yeah, it should and, be. It should be really fun. So, all right, guys, that's it for us. Um, have a Merry Christmas, safe travels, God bless everybody, and I hope you guys get to spend time with family and loved ones. Go to church. Don't be a heathen. <laughs> Serious. If you if you want to uh, listen to my sermons, hit me up, and I'll send you my Christmas sermons too. So if you can't make it to church. I have a couple people that can't, so I'm going to send it to them. All right, man. That's all I got. Okay, peeps. All right. Peace out. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.